Wakanda Forever from the sermon series God on Film, spoken by Pastor IJ Her. And today's movie is Wakanda Forever. Um, I just want to let y'all know. <laughs> Big spoiler alerts, all right? So if you did not watch this movie, you leave right now, all right? Because if you're like, oh, I really want to watch this movie, I'm just letting you know you cannot hate me, all right? Do not hold bitterness against me. Um, but huge major spoilers, I, I, can't, I can't avoid it. But anyways, uh, to sum up this one movie, I think, um, yeah, to sum up this movie in one word, the one word I would use is grief. Say grief. So this movie, if you guys don't know, it's, um, uh, it's for the late uh, Chadwick Boseman. So he used to be the Black Panther, but he, in real life, he passed away. So they did this movie in, um, in honor of him. Um, but uh, the movie starts off with his uh, funeral, the Black Panther's funeral. And um, <clears throat> his sister, Shuri, it's about her learning how to grieve. She does not know how to grieve. Um, and throughout the whole movie, while the Wakanda, Wakanda nation is grieving their king, Shuri is grieving her brother. She's learning how to handle her grief. What do I even do with this? However, towards the end of the film, we not only see Shuri process her grief, but she's actually transformed by it. You see, when we lose someone or something that we love the most, we not only lose that which we desire the most, we lose the ability to desire. When we lose someone or something that we love the most, we lose a part of ourselves. You see, this holiday season, we might have had some really awkward conversations with our family members. Or maybe for some of us, this is our first holiday without our family member. Or maybe, maybe, for some of us, it's like the 10th holiday without them, but it still hurts nonetheless. Grief does not play fair. But in today's passage of John, we're going to go and take a journey of grief. Even in such a dark reality like loss, pain, and suffering, Jesus is showing us a healthy and a gospel-centered way to grieve. So before I read John 11, um, just giving today, uh, context of today's passage, so it's about Mary and Martha. Uh, Mary and Martha, they had a brother named Lazarus. They were faithful to Jesus' ministry, but Lazarus ended up falling ill and he passed away. Later on in the story, as it is famously known as, Lazarus is risen from the dead. But more than the miracles, I know some of you guys are like, oh, spoiler alert, but like, no, more than the miracle of Lazarus raising from the dead, God is actually showing us to glorify him, it is through grief. It's not through these major miraculous events, but it is actually through our grief. So please turn with me to John 11, 28 to 35. John 11, 28 to 35. I'm going to read from the ESV. This is what it says. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit 
and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Let me pray before we get started. God of grace, mercy, and love, you are the God of the universe. You are the sovereign God who spoke this world into motion, who gave breath in our lungs. But yet you choose to weep with us and for us. Father, teach us how to grieve properly. Many of us in this room, we don't have the power to weep for ourselves, but God, we look to you, a God who is weeping for us and with with us. Thank you, and I pray in son's name, amen. So I'm gonna go through um, two points of how we are transformed by grief, all right? So we are transformed by grief when we release control to Jesus, and we see this in Martha's grief. So this is John eleven twenty 20 to 27. This is how Martha is grieving the death of her brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. You see, Martha, Martha, she doesn't necessarily say anything wrong here, right? She says, yes, Lord, you are the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. Nothing about what Martha says is wrong. But Martha grieves through control. And this is what I mean. Martha, she doesn't say all these Christian things, these right theologies, these proper sayings, because she believes in it. She's saying these things to Jesus because that's all she knows. She says the things that she must and is certain of, but she cannot step into grief. This is what Jesus is challenging Martha. Jesus is challenging Martha, stop saying what you think you know, but step into grief. This is what John 11, 25, 26 says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this. You see, what Jesus is actually asking Martha is, do you believe me? Not your proper theology, not your right answers, not your rituals, not your empty prayers or your praises, not your small groups, but do you believe in me? And some of you are like, well, what's wrong? I still don't understand what's wrong with what Martha says. Well, we know she doesn't believe in this because later in John 11, when Jesus says, hey, roll the stone, I'm going to raise Lazarus. She's like, Are you sure? It like kind of smells. I'm not really sure if you should do this, Jesus. Right? It's like if if I was a Jesus, Jesus, I'd be like, did I stutter? I thought you said you believed in me. So we know for a fact what Martha's saying. It's not what she says that's wrong. It's the why. And she clearly does not believe in Jesus. Her grief, she is grieving through control. You see, in the movie, Shuri Uh, Shuri is one of the smartest uh, characters in the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, in the MCU. But Shuri, she goes back to what she knows, which is what? Her wits, her smartness, her technology. Literally, throughout the whole film, she's just digging herself in technology. 
not even realizing, oh my goodness, a year has passed since my brother has died. And she even forgets that because she's just constantly digging herself in her technology. And the shame that is eating at her is if only I was smart enough, I could have saved my brother. How many of us process our grief through this? Many of us, we go back to things we know. You know, as some of you know, like I'm, I'm the youth pastor at this church, and not only do I have the privilege and honor of grieving with our kids, but I get the privilege and honor to grieve with our parents. And I know for many parents, you know, they grieve the child that they should have had, but it's not there. Why is my kid like this? Why are they not doing as I tell them to? And you would think during that time and, 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 and that event or, or this process, you know, a parent would understand and be like, okay, maybe I need to tackle it differently. But a lot of times parents grieve by becoming more strict, right? Because the shame is if I was stricter to this kid, they're not going to turn out like they are right now. You know, I, I know for uh, uh, many of y'all, as you're working in corporate America, and at least for uh, a lot of people in my circles, um, you know, the big tech uh, companies started having massive layoffs, and a lot of my friends got laid off, not because they weren't working hard enough, but because that's just kind of what life is right now. And the constant shame that's eating at them is, if I just worked harder, I wouldn't be in this situation. Or maybe, as I stated earlier, some of you had to spend your Thanksgiving without a family member whether it's because of a divorce, whether it's because of a death. And the constant shame that's eating at you is, if I just prayed more, this wouldn't have happened. And I understand what it means to grieve through control. You see, when I was in Boston, um, uh, it was, it was one of the most memorable time in my life, my college and seminary years, because it was the most painful time of my life. My time in Boston is when, when I lost three of my loved ones. And, and out of all three of them, I think uh, this one brother really hit me the hardest because he was the first time that I, I had to lose such a brother I loved. Um, so, you know, like many of you, I went to church and, you know, went through youth group. And this brother, he was like my camp counselor. He was my youth group teacher. And he was good looking. He played guitar really well. He was good looking and he played guitar really well. And that's why I looked up to him <laughs> because I, I was neither of those two. Like, like praise team, yeah, they let me do PowerPoint because they said I could quench the spirit with one finger. But, but singing, that's not me. But I looked up to this brother and I was like, oh my gosh, like I want to be just like him. I want to follow Jesus just like him. Um, and I, I remember my first year of college when I came back for break, you know, I, I met up with him and he's like, hey man, I just want to let you know, um, I'm just not Christian. And I, like, I, I literally felt like the ground was shaking underneath me. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you're my hero. How could you say you're not Christian? He's like, yeah, that, that whole Christian thing, I think it's just kind of full of crap. Like, I just don't believe in Jesus, man. And I was like, I was so shocked. Like, I wanted the earth to, like, swallow me whole, you know? I'm like, what is going on? And, and what was, like, I, I couldn't explain it then, but what was actually happening to me is, I was in this mode of shock and I was grieving my role model, this figure I had. But in my grief, what I ended up saying to him is, you know, it's because you just don't believe enough. If you were just a better Christian, bro, you wouldn't have lost faith. And that was our last conversation. My second year of college, I got a phone call and um, another brother who, um, him and my brother Gunn, they were so close. And he's like, hey, man, I just want to let you know, you know, uh, Gunn has stage three cancer. And I know that conversation you had with him, it didn't go too well, but I, I think you should make amends when you can. 
Um, and that second year of college, like I went back from Jersey to Boston like every single weekend just to see him in the hospital. Um, and some of you know, if you have loved ones who've you know, battled cancer, it's never like, it's never stagnant, right? It's all over the place. And no offense to any doctors in this room, I have utmost respect for doctors, but I get so annoyed whenever doctors talk about cancer. They're like, oh, dude, they're doing great because that's exactly what they told us and he passed away a month later. And I was, I was so broken. I didn't know what to do because my last conversation was me just shaming him. And you would think from that encounter, it would change me and change my mind and I'd be like, oh, you know, I don't think this is the right way to approach evangelism. But that's not how I grieved. How I grieved was through control. And what I ended up doing after that is if only I studied harder, if only I knew every single Christian argument, I could have saved him. And my, my years in Boston, that was what I did. I just kept reading more theology. Uh, like, I literally was like walking with like a Bible just up my butt. Like, I was just, I was so uptight. And I'm like, I need to know every verse in the Bible. I need to make sure every argument I know to the core because I cannot lose another friend. Control, it's not inherently wrong. But you see, when tragedy happens, what Jesus is teaching us in this passage is to actually release control. That's why he was constantly challenging Martha. Martha's like, I believe, you know, you are the risen king. He's like, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, do you believe in me? In our grief, we go back to what we know and we so long to be in control because it's so much easier. But when we do not release control to Jesus, we are not faithful, we are actually foolish. God is calling us to grieve our losses and it is by releasing control to the one who is the resurrection and the life. Church, what do you have to surrender to God? What do you have to surrender to God? We are transformed by grief, by releasing control to Jesus. The second way we are transformed by grief, it is by receiving compassion from Jesus. And we see this in Mary's grief in John 11, 28 to 35. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Although Mary grooves, grieves through control, I mean, Martha grieves through control. Mary is grieving through anger. Mary is grieving through her anger. You see, Mary, she was angry, and anger, it's not a sin. But she brought her anger to Jesus. She could have ran to the Pharisees. She could have ran to the tomb. But Mary ran to Jesus, letting go of her anger before his feet. And look at what Jesus does afterwards. He does not rebuke her. He does not challenge her. He does not give the question like he did to Martha, but Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. 
You see in the film, Wakanda Forever, the antagonist, his name is Namor. And his, his name has a great uh, backstory and history. So the reason his name is Namor is because he has no love for the surface world. And the reason is because he was birthed in a time of slavery and oppression. When he saw such slavery and oppression against his people, he harbored such anger for the world, for ruining his culture, his childhood, his community. And it's understandable. If that happened to your people, you would hold such anger. And I know for many of our brothers and sisters in this room, that has happened to your people. It has ruined your culture, your childhood, your community. But that anger, it consumed him. And that anger, it turned into vengeance. Major spoiler alert, that anger led him to such vengeance, he ended up killing Shuri's mother. And that's when the film just kind of, no, <laughs> but, but that anger, it turned to vengeance and it killed Shuri's mother. So now up to this part of the film, Shuri, she not only lost her brother, she lost her mother. She lost everything, everyone in her family. She has every reason and every right to kill and to hate Namor, but she chooses something else instead. She chooses to be compassionate. As I said before, my time in Boston, it was rough because I was losing so many of my loved ones. My seminary years, the, the years where I was studying to be a pastor, it was really hard because not only did I lose my friend to cancer and I had such regret of the things I said, not only did I lose a childhood friend to suicide, not only that, but I lost one of the few people in my life who showed me such unconditional love. It was hard. It was really hard for me. You know, those, those years, it, it, it was so hard. Like, I didn't feel like being Christian, but I had to. And I didn't know what to do with all this grief and anger. And I thought, I thought, the most Christian, mature thing to do is just hold it in. And just to hold it in and just keep going. But what ended up happening is that anger actually ended up turning to vengeance. And for those of you that have lost a loved one, when you lose someone you love, you just want the world to feel what you feel. You want the world to burn. And I was just filled with anger. It was just radiating off of me. It was so bad to the point where it didn't matter whether you're a friend or foe, like I was just angry at you. And this is what I mean. When I was living in Boston, um, I had two of my roommates, and um, one of them mistakenly, he, he locked, the bathroom door and he closed it and then he left. But I didn't know that and I had to go, I had to get ready and go to school. And I was like, hey man, yo, like you almost done? He's like, oh, okay, it's like 10 minutes later. And I come back, like, hey dude, like I really gotta go to school. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, for some reason, there's like this gut feeling. I'm like, oh my God, I think he just did what I think he did, but I don't wanna believe that he did it. I think he locked the bathroom door from the inside and he just left it. So I went to his room and he, they were both sleeping. This was a psycho of me, but I grabbed them. I woke them up. I was like, which one of you did it? And they, would, they straight up like looked at each other like, yo, it was him, man. I swear it was him. And I tossed them back into their bed. Like I dragged them out and I tossed them back on their bed. I was so angry. I started punching the bathroom door. There was a huge crack. And like, I'm talking like it opened. And you guys have to understand, another one of our roommates, it was, we were staying at our friend Angel's house and her uncle, he's deaf. Okay, he's deaf but he woke up because he felt the vibrations in the house. <laughs> like that, and I was so angry. And I know some of you are like, yo man, you're kind of psycho. <laughs> and rightfully so. 
I was not in a good place. And actually, during that time, a lot of the pastors that I was um, at a church I was at in Boston, you know, they were like rebuking me. They're like, you know, if you just came out to morning prayers, I think your anger would go away. You know, if you just became a small group leader, I think your anger would go away. You know, I think if you got that A on that like theology class, I think your anger would go away. And I just got more and more angry. I was just like, man, I'm, I'm gonna break you too. Like, I was so angry. But there was this one sister of mine, she, she was a mentor for me while I was in um, seminary. Her name is Becca, and she's actually a pastor now at New Mercy in Hackensack. But she was the only one who came up to me and said, hey, Ajay, you know, I've been praying for you, and I don't know exactly what you're going through, but my heart weeps. And she just started crying. And she's like, because this is the heart of God for you. Every other pastor can say, you need to do more, you need to repent, you are doing X, Y, and Z wrong but I'm letting you know God is weeping for you. You see, church, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to even get angry, but do not stay in a place of anger, but bring your anger before God and receive his tears. Amen. The God that wept with Mary and wept for her, he is the same God weeping for you. And I know that might be conceptual, like what does that even mean, letting God in? I wanna encourage you, church, don't handle your grief on your own, but invite us in. Share your pain with this church. There will be times we're gonna disappoint you. We're not gonna be doing it perfectly, but you need to let us in, let God into your pain, because he's weeping for you. You see, grief, although it is hurtful, it is painful, it is strenuous, it is not the end of our story because it is not the end of God's story. Grief is not the end of God's story. When we see this in John eleven forty one 41 to 43, John eleven forty one 41 to 43, this is what it says. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. You see, the Lazarus that came out of that tomb was not the same Lazarus that went inside the tomb. Lazarus himself was completely transformed through grief. And not only was the resurrection of Lazarus transformative to Lazarus himself, but it transformed Martha and Mary. How do we know this? Because they were the few that were beside Jesus at the cross. It was not Peter, it was not James, and it was not John. It was Mary and Martha. It was the women who followed Jesus. This grief, it was transformative for them, but they could have never been so faithful and endured if they did not go through this journey called grief. Church, when we lose someone that we love, we lose a part of ourselves. And even after knowing the, the process of grief and, and the components to grief and how it all plays out, it just doesn't play fair. There are days you are in this place of acceptance where you accept who your child is, where you accept the death of someone else, where you accept your stage of life, but there are many days where you go back to being angry with life. There are many days where you go back to being depressed. There are many days where you go back to being in the stage of bargaining with God. 
And then sometimes you go back into this place of acceptance. And then sometimes you go back to being angry. And then sometimes you get to go back to being depressed. And then you go back to being angry. And then you go back to being depressed. And then you come to this place of acceptance. And then you go back to being angry. Grief, it just doesn't play fair. I cannot promise many things about this grieving process, but I can promise you one thing. Grief is not the end of our story because it is not the end of God's story. God is willing to transform you through this process. You see, how I was transformed, it was not my time in Boston, it was after when I came to Metro. When I finally came to Metro and, and, and you know, we were a church about uh, transparency and transformation, you know, I took that leap of, uh, of faith. It was scary to share all this, right? It was really scary. Imagine like I'm a new pastor and I just kind of share like all of my grief and the anger that I had. Like I was kind of scared. Like I, I, I might not be a pastor here, you know? But I took that leap of faith and as I was just being vulnerable with all of my grief, to my surprise, there were so many brothers and sisters more than willing to weep for me and alongside me. And I don't think I would be the person I am today if I did not go through all of that. Grief is not the end of your story, church. There is more to grief. There is transformation. And I'll end today's sermon with the lyrics. It's, it's actually from one of my favorite songs. It's called Refiner's Fire. I'm not gonna sing it because I can't sing, but <laughs> it says, purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. You see, this song, it comes from the Proverbs and the Psalms where, where the psalmist is talking about God, refine us like silver because we are precious like silver. And the question we ask is, why silver? Because if you talk about silver in terms of monetary value, there's no value to silver. Not, it's not nearly enough compared to gold, right? If we were singing this song in today's day and age, in today's context, it's like saying, God, purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious doge coins. It's like, there's no value. There is no value there, God. Why silver? But silver is valuable, not because of its currency. Silver is valuable because of the blacksmith who makes it. You see, the blacksmith who makes silver, they put the silver in the fire and they bring it out and they smash it. And they put the silver in the fire and they bring it out and they smash it. And they keep doing that process. They keep going and going and going. And the moment they stop is when the blacksmith sees his reflection in the silver. Some of you may be wondering, when will this grief end? When will this process end? I don't have an answer for you. But what I wanna let you know, God, the great blacksmith, he is refining you until he sees himself in you. God is not done with you yet. Grief is not the end of your story because it is not the end of God's story. Let's pray. Uh, God of grace, mercy, and love. God, so many of us are just, just grieving. God, we are grieving. God, we, we don't know what to do with all of this. 
Sometimes it, it just feels like too much. God, some of us in this room are grieving the loss of the, of the child that they should have had. Man, many parents at Metro, they have done everything right. They are godly parents. I say that in your name. But their child is not the way that they desire. And we, we grieve that before you, God. God, at Metro Community Church, there's been a lot of new parents, expecting parents. And we, we, we are excited with them. But God, there are also just as many parents in this room who have lost a child that they should have had. And Father, we grieve alongside that. God, I lift up our, our, our single community, Lord, where they are grieving the season of their life. That maybe they desire to be out of this stage of singleness much earlier than they planned, but they're not. Or maybe some of us in our single community, we are grieving the tiresome, we are grieving the tiresome comments we receive. We are grieving the loneliness we feel at times at church. Father, for those of us that have had our first Thanksgiving without our loved one, whether it is because of a death or because of a divorce or because of distant relationships or because of a relationship that has been fractured, Father, we grieve for those relationships. And God, we release it to you. Holy Spirit, can you come and minister to us? Holy Spirit, can you come and wrap your arms around us? Holy Spirit, can you come and let us know that the sovereign God who spoke this world into motion is the sovereign God weeping for us? Holy Spirit, help us to receive your tears. And God, thank you that you are a God of grace, mercy, and love, and you will not, you will not let grief be the end of our story. Thank you, God, and I pray in your son's name, amen.